fantastic, hey? What a powerful name, the name of Jesus. And I love that line that says, you have no equals, you have no rivals. Uh, What an amazing thing that actually is, that God is the immense God of the universe. And that's who we've been worshipping this morning. How fabulous. Um, So as we continue on this morning, um, we're still going on with this series uh, onward together as we kind of rethink about getting back into community, getting church going, getting ministries going. Um, although, again, this year is going to have a few stops and starts by the looks of it. Um, but we mentioned that. We, we already knew this was going to happen. We talked about this even a few weeks back, um, that we just have to keep holding our plans lightly and then responding to what God is doing in the broader circumstances as they happen. And remember that he is faithful and we will be okay. Uh, exactly what Josh was saying before. Uh, But today, I want to actually talk uh, about serving others. Last week, Julia was talking about that affection of Christ and and having that love where it actually facilitates uh, more acceptance, more love, more compassion, and those sorts of things. Um, But I want to talk about serving one another today. And and I want to talk about this uh, verse from Galatians 5. uh, And the, the key verse being, serve one another humbly in love. But Before we get into that today, I want to actually uh, spend some time at the start actually kind of setting up the framework for this. Uh, Because when we talk about a passage like this, often we can fall into the danger of actually doing the very thing that this passage in Galatians is actually arguing against. Because we get this idea when we come to these sorts of things and we start talking about serving one another, loving one another, that there's almost a sense of you ought to do that. You should do that. And if you're not doing that, you're not a very good Christian. Or even if you're not doing that, I don't even know if God is going to be that pleased with you. You're a disappointment or you'll be disappointing God. Uh, And then we get this sense of we're creating a guilt and a shame around this stuff, um, which is the very thing that this passage is arguing against. Um, And we're going to have a look at it in a minute. But so this whole idea that somehow you've got to do something to be accepted by God uh, is a thing we've got to be careful not to do when we talk about a passage like this. And and I actually, uh, from a personal perspective, I have an aversion to people trying to use guilt and shame to get me to do something. I I don't know if you're similar in that regard, um, but I I have real trouble not having a strong reaction when people try to do that, when they say things like, or you ought to, or aren't you a Christian? Or even worse, you know, or you're a pastor, you should do this. Uh, And that kind of sense of trying to get me to do something out of guilt or shame. So we want to kind of make sure we avoid that and have a look at this passage. So if if you've got a Bible there, in fact, I'd love for people at home um, to grab your Bibles and open them up if you want to run off and grab one now uh, and get it open at Galatians 5 because then you can look at the context of what's going on here and not just the passage we're looking at today. But let's have a look at this together. If you haven't got your Bible there, it's up on the screen for a bit. Uh, And it says this, Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Now, I just want to stop there for a minute. 
Uh, and again, just this gives us the hint to what the context is. So the context is obviously, um, for those who have been around churches for a long time and read the scriptures a lot, you'll know what's going on here is the Judaizers, those who were Jews who had converted to Christianity uh, all the way, uh, they actually still had this deep ingrained thing that you had to be circumcised. That if you weren't circumcised, then it was dubious whether or not you could be accepted as a child of God or be considered part of the children of Abraham uh, in that sense. And the whole idea that, that the covenant was based on uh, being circumcised. And so there was a, this idea that if you didn't get circumcised, if you didn't do this, then it was pretty obvious that you weren't really included in the family of God. And so Paul is actually arguing against that whole thing. And like what I'm saying here before, that we don't want to make serving another thing, which you just add in here, that you have to do to be considered a child of God or you have to do for God to be pleased with you. We've got to be careful not to end up in that place. So listen to what Paul's argument actually is here. So he's saying, "Um, I tell you, if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare that every man who lets himself be circumcised, that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace." And see, this is what the problem is. If you use circumcision or any other thing, if you use uh, serving or whatever it might be, you say, if person, you have to do these things, as soon as you include those, as soon as you make them the standard by which you are measured, then you have done exactly what Paul is arguing against here. You've actually made that the standard for acceptance with God. And so you alienate yourself from Christ because in the, what Paul's about to say, I'll, I'll read that in a minute, is that it's based on what Jesus did that we're accepted by Christ. Not the law, not any other thing that you might kind of overlay being a follower of Christ with. So you actually alienate yourself and you fall away from the grace. And then Paul goes on to say, uh, again in verse 5 of chapter 5, it says, For through the Spirit... We eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. And then Paul's reiterating again that we are waiting by faith for the righteousness that comes from Christ. Not anything else, not any other task or job or behavior that you supposedly have to do. And then he goes on to say, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision are of any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And so we're going to make this really clear uh, in doing this, that it comes down to what Christ has done, not anything else. We don't want to go back there because this, and if you take this verse where Paul says, um, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value, It's akin to that saying, I don't know if you've heard this saying, but it rings in my mind often, that thing where it says, nothing you can do will make God love you more and nothing you can do will make God love you less because you are perfect and perfected in Christ. And so that's the whole essence of what Paul's getting at here. And in fact, if we went back to chapter or 
we went back to verse 1, Paul is pristinely clear here where he says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So the first thing I want to kind of make very, very clear this morning is this whole perspective is when we talk about serving one another or whatever it might be, any message we're giving, um, what people should hear is not that you ought to, you should, you have to, but here is an opportunity out of the freedom we have in living a life serving Christ, then here is an opportunity for us. And it's out of that freedom that we can actually live and love and serve and be the people of God. Not going back to the law or the shoulds, the oughts, the have tos. Um, So please hear that clearly this morning when we're talking about this. So let's have, after I get that out of the way, um, let's have a look in more detail with these couple of verses I want to focus on, which is Galatians 5, 13 and 14. So let's go back there again and have a look at this. So in verse 13, Paul says this, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Now, this is really important, all right? So I was just saying, you know, we come to this out of freedom, but it's important because what actually happens if you go back to the law? Now, we got that in verse 1, where Paul says, if we quickly look back there again, he says, do not burden yourself or don't let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So what happens If we go back to the law and doing things out of oughts and shoulds, we end up being in slavery again. And this is what Paul's saying. We've been set free from that, and that's what we're called for. So that's the first reason why we don't want to actually make uh, this whole thing about serving something you ought, should, have to do. All right? Because we don't want to end up back in slavery. Now, there's a second thing that is equally important in this. Um, I mean, that's pretty clear. We, we kind of get that. If you've been around churches for a while, we get that in the 21st century. But there's another thing here that Paul is uh, not directly speaking to, but that's actually equally as important uh, that's going on here. So if you focus your attention on the things you ought to, should, have to do, they actually become a thing. So they become a task you have to do, an obligation you have to discharge. And that was the exact problem that the Israelites were facing prior to Christ's coming and the whole criticism of Jesus and the Pharisees, that they had got so focused in on the law and discharging their responsibilities under the law that they'd actually made it a thing and they'd lost sight of God. And so when we do this, when we make serving others something that you have to, should, ought to do um, in that same way, we actually lose sight of God and we lose sight of the people. It just becomes a transactional thing. Now, to help you actually understand this, let me give you a a kind of a retail uh, example. Now, this happened to me a couple of weeks back now, and I'm sure it's happened to to everybody uh, if you've been out of the shops at some point or other. Um, So I was getting petrol from the Petro and um, filling up my motorbike, and I went in, and obviously I just walked up and said, oh, number three, and the lady behind the counter said, oh, do you have a reward, uh, do you have a discount card? Uh, And said, yeah, hand it over, 
showed it to her. Said, That'll be twelve dollars fifty. Do you have a? Uh, how do you want to pay for that? I said buy card. Uh, put the card on. Do you want the receipt with that? I said yes, I have the receipt with that. Uh, just take it from the machine there. So I took it off the machine. Now the whole time I did that, the lady didn't look at me once, and her whole body language and her tone of voice was like she was actually just in automation mode. And I had become an object in the process of her discharging her duty to serve at the counter that day. And I, in that sense, it wasn't relational. It was simply transactional. And that's the very thing we do if we make serving an ord assured a should, a have to, and something. We focus in on the thing and not the person or on God. And that's what's critical about this and what Paul's doing. And the genius of what we're about to see as this passage opens up a little bit more. So that's the first thing I want to say about why we can't go back to making it this, or making it that should or to have to. We actually go back to making it a works-based gospel. But then Paul anticipates something, and you've all read this verse, uh, no doubt already, uh, where it says this, but do not use your freedom to indulge yourself. Because obviously, if Paul is saying uh, we are free or we've been set free from guilt and shame and sin, uh, and then obviously the opposite end of this is if you go back to the law, you end up in slavery and a works-based gospel. But the opposite end of this is you can't just go to just doing whatever you think, uh, whatever you please and indulging yourself uh, because Paul actually recognises if you do that, we actually have the same problem again. So you end up in the same situation as if you had gone back to the law. Um, and now this was another problem that was happening in the early church as well. Obviously, the early Gnosticism uh, and the early kind of uh, mystery religions where this whole thing of this separation uh, between the body, the physical, and the spiritual, the dualism. So people thought, well, as long as you actually had your uh, ideas right, then it didn't matter what you did with your body. And then Paul is arguing against that as well when he says that. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Uh, because you end up in the same place. You end up in slavery. You end up in slavery back to whatever the desires are of your heart or whatever the indulgences are that you end up kind of giving yourself over to. You become a slave to those things again. Now, anyone who's actually had to deal with addictions knows exactly what this is like, where the whole addiction or the whole desire controls you. You don't have freedom to choose. You are simply dragged along by the desires of your body and mind. Um, and that becomes equally binding and, and puts you back in slavery as much as the law did. And so Paul is trying to say, don't go back there. Don't go to the law and don't go to total kind of uh, chaos and doing whatever you feel like. There's something more important. And the same thing applies as well. If you actually just give yourself over to your own desires and you've got no control over your own emotions, you end up doing the exact same thing and you make it... Um, you make people into being objects. They become objects who just fulfill your desires and you lose that kind of sense of them being a, another human being whom you have some interaction with. And it becomes transactional rather than relational. So that's the second thing Paul is actually warning us against here. Now, I think this is a a much bigger problem for us today than going back to the law. Obviously, in the 21st century and in Protestant churches, we're not uh, 
you know, we're not tempted much to go back to the law as such. But we are certainly <laughs> tempted by the broader culture to indulge ourselves and just do what we're pleased by and just do what we want to do. And, and, and if you've got all your fulfillment and you're feeling good, then you might think about serving others. But the first priority really is to make sure you're okay and you're fulfilled. Uh, and, and in that, we are kind of that same sense of we're just indulging our own desires. And Paul is warning us against that. So what's his solution? We get here where he says, do not indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. Now, this is brilliant um, because Paul is actually pointing us in the direction of the very thing we need, the very thing that actually is going to give us what we're looking for when we go back, when people want to go back to the law or if they want to go to self-indulgence, the very thing they're looking for is found in serving one another humbly in love. Now, just to clarify what those two, the phrase humbly in love means. So humbly in love is this idea that you don't see yourself as better than others or less than others, but you actually see others as equal human beings with the same kind of needs, hopes, dreams and desires as you have, the same sorts of fears and concerns that you have. It's that sense of we are equal uh, before God and we are equal in our humanity. And the sense of love is that we're wanting to serve other people out of a heart for their best interest, not to get something for ourselves. Because when we do that, something amazing takes place. We actually start to build connections to the people around us. We start to have this relational interactions with people rather than a transactional one that is about us of discharging our duties or our responsibilities or getting what we want for our selfish desires. But we actually start to see the people around us and get relationally connected to them when we start to serve humbly in love. Now, let me go back to using a, uh, a retail example. Now, my barber, who I go and see, you know, well, actually, whenever I can, um, whenever I can fit it in, but, and you can tell how long my hair gets as to how long it's been. But my, uh, the, my barber, his name's Jeff. Now, he actually has a heart to actually be in the community to serve. Uh, and that shows in the way he does what he, his hairdressing, um, his barbering. So when I go there, you know, he obviously says, how are you going? But he's interested in me as a person as he's cutting my hair. I'm not just an object for him to get money to pay his rent and to do those things. He's actually interested in the people who his hair, whose hair he's cutting. So he knows where I live. He knows that I'm into surfing and motorbikes and all that sort of stuff. He knows I'm a pastor in church. And so he often asks me things about how's the church going. Um, and just recently he was we were chatting about how this whole lockdown and COVID had affected uh, the church and all that sort of stuff. And so it's a great uh, way to make a connection. And, um, you know, obviously I'm asking him about himself. I know where he lives down in Tukarook and he's into football and all that sort of stuff. Now, what's amazing is because he has this relational approach and he's interested in the people around him and he's got a community mindset, um, he's actually built a great community around him. You know, 
every single time I go to get my hair cut, either while I'm sitting in the chair waiting or while I'm sitting in the chair getting my hair cut, there's always someone who knocks on the window as they walk past and waves and say, hey, how you going, Jeff? And yells out or they poke their head in the door and say, hey, Jeff, how you going? Um, And so you can see just by being there that he's built this great community around him because he's interested in the people. He's not just discharging a duty to get some money. He's actually providing a service where he's engaging with the people that are there. And he sees the people as a person and a human and wants to interact at that level. And so isn't that absolutely brilliant? The very thing we're looking for when we go, well, the very thing the early Christians were looking for to go back to the law was to actually belong again, to feel like they were part of the community. The very thing that you're looking for when you go looking for self-indulgence and those things is to feel a sense of fulfillment and connection uh, and uh, a sense of joy in the world. They're the very things you find when you serve other people humbly in love. Isn't that fantastic? That God is actually providing for us the very thing we need and giving us an instruction to do that in how we live as the people of God. And I think that's absolutely amazing. Now, there's one more thing in this whole passage that actually pulls this all together. Uh, And again, is the brilliance of what Paul is pointing us to here. This is our opportunity. Look at what he actually goes on to say in verse 14. He says, For the entire law... Think about that. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this is meant to be like an expansion of the previous verse, which is serving one another humbly in love. This whole idea of actually loving others as we love ourselves. The entire law is fulfilled when we do that. Now, think about this. This is brilliant. When you stop and think, what is Paul saying when he says the entire law is fulfilled in this? Well, we have to stop and think about that for a minute. You have to go back to Genesis, back to um, Genesis 12 and where God actually interacts with Abraham and says to him, you will be a blessing to all the nations. And so this whole thing about the law and what God was trying to do with the Israelite nation was to make them a blessing to the entire world. And in that sense, a blessing being that they would be an example of how to live as God's people, how to interact with one another, how to interact with God, how to live our lives in this broken world. And so if we serve one another humbly in love, if we love our neighbours as ourselves, we, in fact, are fulfilling that promise of bringing a blessing into the world. Now, isn't that fantastic that you are fulfilling the entire law by loving the people around you and serving them? And it's, it's this whole idea that you are bringing the kingdom of God into the world in a tangible way. You are making it manifest when we serve those humbly in love. Now, isn't that brilliant? Now, I was talking to a guy just this week. Um, who was you know, feeling pretty down and having a hard time and thinking to himself, you know, what have I got to contribute? What can I do now? It's too late for me to do anything really important. And, and I thought about that and I, as I was chatting to him. I said, hang on a minute. 
you're evaluating yourself against the values of our current Western meritocracy. This whole idea that somehow the higher up on the ladder you go, the more talent you have, the bigger the kind of social media audience you have, that somehow that makes you a better person uh, to, make, to have a greater contribution. But that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is actually serving one another in love. This is this thing of bringing more compassion, more kindness, more hope, more love into the world. And if you do that, you're doing something heroic. You're doing something better than being a social media star. You're doing something better than being the CEO of some corporation. You're actually making manifest in the world the kingdom of God. Isn't that fantastic? And that's what God is calling us to do. And that's what Paul is inviting us to do in this passage. And so I want to say to you today that this is the whole point of serving one another in love. It's not a should and ought, a duty. It's not something about self-indulgence or something I'm going to get. It's about the freedom we have in Christ to actually love those around us and make manifest in the world the kingdom of God. That fulfillment of Jesus' prayer where he says, Lord, your will be done, your kingdom come. That's what we're doing when we do these things. And that's what I want to invite people to do when we serve humbly one another in love. And so that's the big point of this morning. And that's what I want to encourage you. This is not pointing the finger and saying, you ought to, you have to, you should. Yes, we need people to, to serve and volunteer so the church can actually function and run in a way that blesses one another as we join together. Yes, we need them, but we need that. Or what I'm saying is our opportunity is to do that out of freedom, out of the overflow of our hearts. And so that's what I want to encourage each other with this morning. So let me pray as we finish up this morning. Father, I want to thank you again for this passage. I want to thank you for what Paul is pointing us towards here, that the, the genius of your word, that in doing this, we actually are being the people of God. We are being a blessing to the world. We are pointing people to Jesus and to you. We are proclaiming the gospel when we love one another humbly and Father, and serve one another humbly in love. And so I want to pray for us all this morning, as we're listening in, as we're watching this morning, that you might, in our hearts, you know, fill us to overflow with this great joy and love to serve so that we might do that heroic thing of actually bringing more compassion, more love, more of Jesus into the world, more of your spirit into the world. Father, fill us to overflow, I pray. Help us to focus our attention on you rather than the troubles and harassment we see around us. Help us to focus our attention on loving those around us rather than the problems we can see. So in that way, Father, we might bring glory to your name in this world. And I pray for all this in Jesus' name. Yeah, amen. Hey, now we're going to sing a song that says, Lord, I need you. And I think I'm, I want to sing that and praise God in this because I need God to do that in me so that I can be the person he's calling me to be. Yeah, Let's sing together this great song.